You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 60, Rainbow, Difficult to Cure. And coming to you from the flash-flooded suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, Rhode Island, I'm your co-host, John Lawn Tennis Matola. Okay. (laughs) I'll explain that one in a minute. All right. And we have also got a special guest with us this week, as you've probably seen from the title. And that guest is he was a moocher a card <laughs> a country club golf hustler a scumbag there he is the breakout star of the podcast medium yeah from the pot of thunder podcast put your hands together for mr chris l <laughs> yeah i see my uh, reputation precedes me <laughs> <laughs> following these baseless accusations of being a moocher, which is the worst of the four. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Well, we thought you'd get a kick out of um, having your your intro on our show. Yeah, you actually, (laughs) sounds like you pulled a quality sound clip too. I haven't heard it with that much fidelity before. Yeah, actually, when I I said, is this the right one? Because it sounds, I didn't know there was background music in there, but we're just showing off our amazing production on the show. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's uh, love is the drug, Roxy music yeah, going which, on in the background. A little connection to John Gustafson playing dr- uh, playing the bass on that, who that's, we've talked about incessantly on this show. So, all right, so Chris, why don't you um, for the for the three people listening that aren't familiar with your show and what you do, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your background and your show? Um, not too much exciting about my background, but my. Uh, our show is Pot of Thunder. We've been at it for a little over seven years now. Started out as a KISS podcast, and uh, the plan was to do an episode about every studio song they ever put out. Uh, we didn't think we'd get past five episodes, so why not do something like that? <laughs> and we ended up running through the whole catalog, uh, some 270 ish songs and episodes. Um, and then, uh, you know, in the course of doing that, we built up a little bit of a following. So we decided to continue on, um, just doing, uh, random songs and bands. Uh, most of them submitted by our listeners. So uh, we're we're still at it. Uh, just did episode three sixty two, I think. So wow, yeah, three hundred episodes on us. <laughs> well, you you have that to look forward to. So <laughs> well, it's great. You know, the the quality. I, yeah. I listened to the, all the episodes in order, and then kind of listened to them. I was listened to them backwards, and then started from the beginning. And I'm in the early hundreds now. And one of the things that really struck me is. Right from the very beginning, I listened to the first episode and I was like, 
you know, you never know what you're going to expect. I figured there's going to be this huge progression, but even right from the beginning, you guys had a great format and obviously the rapport between the three of you is amazing. So it's what makes it so enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. I mean, we're not doing anything proprietary on our show. It's just, uh, you know, um, well, I guess it was still is somewhat unique to do, uh, an entire podcast devoted to, a single band and uh, analyze every studio song they ever put out. So that's somewhat unique, but I mean, anybody can do that. The, uh, the, uh, um, you know, unique thing is really our, our interpersonal interaction and, uh, you know, either love it or you don't and people seem to like it. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, it's fun. Uh, usually this is around the time I bail on something, uh, bands, <laughs> businesses, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, it's still fun. It's still, uh, you know, um, Andy and I talk about it all the time. It's, it's like the least amount of effort to put yourself out there doing this kind of thing. So if we, uh, can't put forth the effort to continue the show, we might as well just, uh, not bother putting ourselves out there in any capacity ever again. So, <laughs> so yeah, still at it, still fun and, uh, and appreciate anybody listening. We had no idea what to expect and, uh, have a nice little following of listeners. So that's kind of cool. Well, definitely one of the, the biggest draws for me was, is the fact that you were doing the whole kiss catalog so that's originally why i wanted to listen it was great because i could just jump to an episode of like if i was thinking of a particular song i could just go to that song and i haven't heard it before um and um it's just great to hear a fresh take on it and like you said the interpersonal relationships like the the three of you guys uh bantering together is really (laughs) what makes it for me especially when we have the those unexpected like just laugh out loud i have to rewind it back because it was so funny moments so uh that's what really makes it for me yeah appreciate it glad you like it yeah every every so uh, often i get after the catalog is over like the new episodes are great as well post case Yeah, it's fun. And, uh, you know, listeners get involved and there's a lot of new discoveries. I mean, um, you know, we don't script anything out. We don't come in knowing what the song is going to be. So mm-hmm. I think the spontaneity comes through. People appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's great. John, John has been a huge Kiss fan for his entire life, the entire time I've known him. And I wasn't ever really into Kiss, but still just you guys hooked me on your other episodes and I had to go back and listen to all the stuff. And occasionally I get a text from John like, you have to listen to the Charisma episode right now. So I was, OK, so I jump out of order and I'm like, OK, that was I can see why I got the text. Yeah. Yeah, just fun. one. Yeah, one one last thing on it, so we don't. Um, I know you probably don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but um, as we um had your co-host on uh for a few episodes ago, uh, Nick yeah. to do the Captain Beyond episode, and I think we told him this is like one of my personal favorite episodes, and I think yours, Nate, the the one we found the funniest was um the Odyssey episode. <laughs> yep. From yeah, from the elder. Yeah, I, I hear good things about it, but it, that's one of those songs that if uh, if you ask me to discuss anything about it or like repeat the melody, I could not oh. do it. It was it was like instantly forgettable, <laughs> um, which I would say is about 
10% of, uh, of all the kiss songs we did, like, for example, say what somewhere between heaven and hell, I -hmm. could, I don't, I don't know a lyric. I don't, I couldn't, uh, recite the melody back to you. It was instantly out of my consciousness. Um, <laughs> that's how forgettable it was. Well, um, it's, it's it's good to have guys like you that have. You're not coming in there with like this encyclopedic knowledge of every single thing about Kiss. You're learning and kind of hearing new things, and and that's what makes it fun as a listener, as, as somebody who also doesn't isn't super familiar with Kiss. Um, and we're also not, you know, uh, unconditional fanboys. <laughs> Hardly when they. Uh, <laughs> When they, when there's crap and there is plenty of it in their catalog, we recognize it as such. But the good news is that the vast majority of it, the majority of it is quite good. So agreed. <laughs> All right, so we're just going to get into thanking our patrons uh, before we move on. We've got at the fifteen dollar highball shooter tier, Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net. The Turn It Up to Eleven Dollar tier, Ryan M. The $10 no one came tier, still empty, as everyone's abandoned trying to one-up each other. The $5 money lender tier, Clay Wambacher, Greg Sealby, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, and Mike Knowles. The $3 nobody's perfect tier, Peter Gardeau, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, and Anton Glaving. And at the $1 made-up name tier, Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, The Frightening Leaky Mausoleum, and Michael Vader. So thank you so much to all of them for helping support the show. Yeah, it's good to know I'm not the only moocher on this call tonight. uh, You got to do what you got to do. It's, uh, you know, well, uh, I think I I calculated that, you know, for both of us to quit our jobs, I I don't know, need seven or eight thousand more patrons uh, at the current (laughs) average. So we're almost there. Um, yeah, I've I've done similar calculations and then I stopped doing them because it seems so hopeless. So. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, we we didn't start doing this for the big payouts. Um, <laughs> no, uh, not at all. Definitely not. Just for the love of the music. Um, before we move on, we of course have a message from our sponsor. And uh, we speaking of big bucks, I want to make sure we recognize our sponsor this week. Waking up in the morning to a clear blue sky Makes you say, oh boy A fresh cup of coffee and some strawberry pie Makes you say, oh boy Big boy Makes you say, oh boy That's right, big boy. Paying the bucks, (laughs) paying the uh, rent this week. Thank you, big boy. All right. I'm a big, big boy fan, actually. There was... uh... Uh, I grew up in the Detroit area and there was one not far from the house. In fact, I uh, always uh, maintain at least one container of big boy seasoning salt in my home. (laughs) Uh, If you've never purchased any, I highly recommend it. It's outstanding on eggs. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't know how, what, where their stuff. locations are. We didn't really have a lot of them growing up out east. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not too far from you right now, but it looks like there's one north of Chicago. And Yeah, there's uh, the closest one I know is in uh, Pawpaw, Michigan, is where I tend to stop when I'm headed back to Detroit. Who knows if any restaurants will even be open anymore after all this nonsense is over uh, with. But. Yeah, right. 
But uh, if you think about it and you're in one of those restaurants, stop by the uh, the glass display case up front and get yourself some big boy seasoning salt. You will you will thank me later. I, I absolutely <laughs> will. My sister-in-law lives in Kalamazoo, and so sometimes we're kind of in that area. So I'll have to see oh, if yeah, there's any yeah. around there. Pawpaw's uh, just uh, west of there, I believe. So oh, we'd have to pass yeah. through it. So yeah, <laughs> tell my Check wife we have to make a we have to make a pit stop. Stock up, man. That's yeah. what I do. <laughs> All right. So um, so we're doing something a little different this week. We're skipping ahead to um, difficult to cure which is appropriate given what's going on right now in the world. Um, <laughs> we're skipping over the, the lone Graham bonnet album. So basically uh, cozy sticks around through down to earth. He gets a little bit disenchanted with the commercial direction that Rainbow's going in. Um, Bobby Rodinelli comes in as a replacement with not really any notable entries on discogs that I could find before. This, this is kind of his first credit is this album. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Graham Bonnet says they kind of got together to try to rehearse for this album and it just kind of didn't really go anywhere. Uh, he got a little bit frustrated and just kind of decided to leave. So um, John Lord has a has a quote about Blackmore's kind of hiring and firing, because at this point we're on the five albums into Rainbow and God, how many members have we gone through at this point? Um, a lot. John Lord says, I will never understand why he has to change it. Cozy Powell was a great drummer. Graham Bonnet is an amazing singer. He doesn't have to fight anymore. The moment he encounters another opinion, he changes the band. So the energy might get lost in that situation. He just avoids conflict now, like the one we had with me in Deep Purple. So it's kind of. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they never had the same lineup for one from one album to the next. So, uh, right. Rainbow, I mean, which, um, much. you know, it's kind of a, kind of an illustration of, uh, how impossible Blackmore was to deal with on a, on a personal level, but, uh, but they sure seem to rise above it and put out quality music, uh, constantly. Yeah, so. so they, they recorded all the instrumentation of this in Denmark and then, uh, I, I guess because they, they didn't have a singer yet. They come back to long Island and have, and kind of uh, eventually they recruit Joel and Turner who was kind of just uh, in this band Fandango that had kind of gone nowhere. So he was, they, they, he, they got introduced to Joel and Turner by um, Barry Ambrosio, which is a pretty cool name. Um, the same person that introduced Rod Nelly to Blackmore and, uh, Ambrosio says, he says, to be honest with you, I was completely, uh, uh, JL, JLT rather says, to be honest with you, I was completely into other genres of music. You'll like this, Chris. I was studying jazz guitar and I was more, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was more into the Eagles and stuff like that. Oh, uh, well. <clears throat> the classic guitarist line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He wants to seem like he's above it all, you know. Uh, you know, I'm slumming it doing this rock and roll thing, but you know what I really want to do is play Miles Davis tunes and you know, be be super cool like that. It's like just that's fine, but you were you were never gonna make it in jazz, okay? <laughs> Joe Lidgarner, the famous yeah. jazz guitarist. Yeah. Especially yeah, especially him. And and with his singing chops, why would you waste time? 
yeah. playing guitar, you know? Right. And um, it's one true. thing, one thing true. we've seen from these commercial jingles is he's, he's often called in to do these jingles because he can impersonate and imitate any yeah. singer, any style. He, he's just man a, of many talents. Incredible. Yeah. Well, and getting back to kind of what we talked about earlier in the show about, you know, at, you guys having uh, patrons and all this stuff. It's like, you know, if it's a payday, why not do it? You know? Yeah, um, of course. Keeps him from actually working in a big boy. He can actually <laughs> be a functioning musician and uh, make a living at it. So, And we've said that on pre- uh, previous episodes, Nate. Uh, people say that uh, a lot of people would say that this kind of commercial thing when you're in a rock band is like being a sellout. But mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand that these people need to make a living just like the rest of us. So. Yeah, sell out. That's, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just there, there's no, there's no artistic uh, integrity or there's nothing to be uh, proud of being homeless and living on the street because you're, you, you want to do your original stuff that nobody else wants to hear. I mean, big deal. You know, if you can, uh, if you can monetize what you're doing, you should absolutely do it. Because, uh, like I said, being a musician is better than 99% of the uh, day jobs out there. So, mm-hmm. I think if if you were if you were in some if you were some sort of independent uh, multimillionaire where money wasn't an option, maybe you could afford to take those kinds of of chances. But I think a lot of people forget because these people are elevated in our minds that, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, the, like can, can just live the rest of their life without making it with without having a paycheck. This is a, this, they need, they need a paycheck and I, we're all selling out every day to our, to our boss. We're not, we're not going into work and calling all the shots. Somebody's telling us what to do. <laughs> yeah. And then, and you know, the, these people who say sell out and stuff, Tell you what, the next time your uh, boss offers you a raise, just refuse it. Because, you know, <laughs> getting more money for doing what you're doing, man, you're a sellout. Just, in fact, take a pay cut <laughs> to really show everybody how genuine and artistic you are. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit my job and just do this podcast full time and see how long I see how long I can get by before yeah, exactly uh, <laughs> for everything falls apart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you're staying true week. to yourself, so you can feel good about that <laughs> while you're swimming in the floodwaters of Lower Wacker. <laughs> uh. So uh, we got this album cover here for Difficult to Cure. Uh, it's kind of an interesting cover here. We've got this surgeon surrounded, flanked by three surgeons on either side. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting uh, diversion from the previous. You you have all of these, you know, you, the, the three Dio albums have these kind of swords and sorcery album covers. And yeah. then you've got the down to earth spacey one. And now there's just this weird uh, cadre of doctors hovering over you. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of those where... Um, you know, back in the day where you'd be flipping through stacks of vinyl or rows of vinyl in the record store, this is one that would jump out at you just wondering what it's all about, what it could possibly 
mean and what the music would be like once you uh, put it on. So, and, and, and as we, we're seeing in the, uh, current times all the surgical masks are very suddenly very timely so mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just looks like going into any retail establishment right now yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much but um this this album cover was always really like weird to me like i i never knew what to make of it it was just kind of like uh okay like i mean you have like rainbow rising and then this <laughs> like if you're just like you know what i mean like in the the same band it's like i don't I don't get this. Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of consistent with the direction of the music. It's like you've, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the Dungeons and Dragons type stuff with the first three albums, and then then you go in these sort of pop directions. And um, you know, um, this album is it's none of the like you know Game of Thrones type lyrical themes but i think it it does a really good job of straddling that fence of you know the pop hits from the previous album with some mm-hmm. some legitimately heavy rock and stuff on here so yeah i just always thought it was really interesting how richie went from what he was doing in purple and then rainbow to just wanting to be super commercial just it, it just i don't know it was really just an, a a weird turn if you really think about it. Not that it was, he wasn't good at it because I mean, there's a lot of good eighties rainbow stuff or late seventies, early eighties, but. Yeah. I think it's all good actually, especially the, the yeah. JLT era. I mean, we talk about it on the show a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm always really excited when bands do something different and don't just try to churn out the same thing again and again and again. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, I can understand if you've been with rainbow for, a few albums and you kind of like all on board for the swords and sorcery thing. And then down to earth comes and you're like, well, it's kind of a couple poppy things, but they're kind of sticking to it. Then this album hits you. I can understand somebody just kind of thinking what is going on and maybe being slightly, slightly turned off by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see some people bailing and also, um, you guys are the experts. So maybe, you know, this better than me. Um, well, you, you can't know it less than me because I know zero about <laughs> it. But um, but when you bring in Graham Bonnet and then an album later, Jolyn Turner, um, I mean, how much of the EO era stuff are those guys able to pull off in a live setting? Mm. Yeah. That's... I mean, they can technically sing it, but I mean, are, are you going to believe, uh, you know, Stargazer coming from, Miami Vice looking Graham Bonnet. I mean, that's just kind of a kind of a yeah. disconnect there. Um, so, so that's that. That would be a concern, I would think. But um, you know, it didn't seem to break up their momentum any. So, the one interesting thing about this album cover is it, it was created by Hypnosis, not spelled like you think it's spelled, but spelled like Hip, like Gnosis, G N O. SIS like the mm-hmm. like the mystical gnosis um and apparently this al- this album cover had been floating around for a while and they had tried <laughs> giving it to other bands and the first band mm-hmm. they tried it with was uh, Black's uh, um Black Sabbath for Never Say Die they wanted this mm-hmm. to be the album cover Black Sabbath I rejected could, I could it I've seen that 
Which I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, But apparently all these people in these in these costumes are just all the people that worked at hypnosis. So I don't know how much of it was them just trying to say, Hey, let's get ourselves on an album cover. Just keep trying. Um, eventually it worked. Hmm. Um, so you've got that you've got on the, on the, it's a gatefold. You've got just kind of some implementation there. Then you've got a lyrics sheet. And then the back cover is some of these doctors and a nurse looking down on the hmm. patient, which would have been a good one for never say die too. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, um, it's a theme. Like, I mean, it definitely have like a, like a cool theme going with it. I just, um, I don't know. I have a hard time buying it for rainbow. Well, it's a good theme. It's a good theme for the album cover, but it doesn't really, it's not really represented by any of the music. I mean, they have a song called difficult to cure, but it's an instrumental, (laughs) but I mean, it's like, it's a good theme, like just a theme, not necessarily for this band. Maybe, um, sure. You know, so I don't know. I kind of, uh, like I said, I was drawn to it by the, yeah. the album art and, uh, you know, I didn't, I just thought it was a cool gateway in the music and I, I was really, uh, instantly pleased with the album. So nice. I'm, I'm sure it, it attracted a whole new, and while it may have turned away some of the D and D crowd, it probably attracted a whole new, um, following as well. Yeah, there might have actually been some females in the audience for a change. <laughs> for the first time. Which is, always, which is always nice if you think about it. But So um, um, some, just to back up for a minute, um, um, we didn't ask uh, ahead of time, Chris, but what is your um, relationship to um, Deep Purple and, and Rainbow in particular? Um, like what got you started on them? Um, well, the... the Early in my music listening career, I was a collector of eight-track tapes because I got a hand-me-down uh, eight-track player from my cousin, who, uh, who ironically or coincidentally, however you want to look at it, um, lives on, still lives there on Long Island. So I'm wondering if I ever ran into JLT at random. Uh, back in the seventies. Um, I never didn't recall any Fandango shows uh, happening around that time, but, uh, um, so I got an eight track player from my cousin and, um, one of the early ones I bought was deepest purple. Oh, um, yes. That's cause I had yeah. been familiar with the radio hits or other smoke on the water obviously and a mm-hmm. couple other ones but i'm i mean from a best of perspective it's hard to top that one and that was uh one i played played a lot and then um then when mtv hit um <clears throat> we didn't get it right away in our cable system but probably mid 82 we got it and uh a lot of all those the down to earth videos, the can't happen here and all the straight between the eyes videos were all in heavy rotation just because they existed and they needed as many videos as they could get to play. And um, just liked every song I heard from them. So I just started um, exploring uh, what they had to offer and um started i think with this one uh just because i th- remember it can happen here 
being one of the first videos saw on MTV and then the down to earth, uh, videos as well. But, uh, that album didn't really grab me aside from all night long. And since you've been gone, obviously, but mm. this one and uh, straight between the eyes are like front to back really good. So. All right. So, uh, should we kick into the tracks here? Sounds good to me. Yeah, All let's right. go for it. Let's we got it. track one, side one, I Surrender. Already you got a classic Blackmore melody there. And of course we have JLT's uh, love of the word surrender at work here, <laughs> yeah. which he would bring back with Ingve, the, uh, oh, the sweet, sweet surrender, surrender mention oh in uh, that one tune. I like how it's very poppy and then it turns into a very richy kind of composed solo here or lead Nate what year was this album again 81 when was it 81 81 yeah I get that really that feel of that like uh, kind of like 80s like uh, never ending story pop kind of like uh, rock but uh, Roger Glover produced all these albums right starting with down to earth and yes the next several uh gotta hand it to him i really like the drum sound on this album uh it's not really dated or overdone it's aggressive and clean and it sounds really good yeah it hasn't veered into that mid 80s drum sound that dominated everything no which is a good thing and uh Rondinelli plays his ass off on this album. He really uh, had some big shoes to fill and did a great job. Richie Blackmore has a knack for plucking people out of obscurity and turning them into stars. Did, did you say that Roger Glover was bass on this? Or Yes. Yeah. Yeah? So you yeah. play bass and produced? Yep. Yeah. And this, this song is a good of- little melody right here. I like this. And we've got Don Airy on keys. Now, was Don Airy on the whole album as well? Yep. This is, of course, another Russ Ballard written song, just like Since You've Been Gone. Um. So they're just kicking it off right off the bat, trying to ride the wave of the yeah. since you've been gone from the previous album well I think so far pretty successful it's really uh, it's really catchy 
Yeah, and this was a staple of their live set throughout the entire uh, JLT era, I believe, so. Strong tune, poppy. Yeah, really catchy. I even I even kind of enjoyed the um and the the chorus, the little uh the little um eighties piano going in the little, background. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. 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 I mean yeah, out the if, yeah, I mean if you're in the mood for if you're in the mood for something like like good eighties, not cheesy or like uh badly produced eighties, then this is this is definitely it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I no. think all the, the rainbow stuff when they went in the pop direction. I mean, if you're looking for that blend of, like you said, catchiness, but still got that rock edge and credibility to it, you can't really beat uh, JLT era rainbow. Yeah. All right, so we typically uh, give our songs a little rating here. So um, did you want to go, uh, would you like to go first, last? How would you like to go, Chris? What's your rating scale? I mean, well, I can go first, but we go one one through five. Uh, f- uh, with we can do half ratings, so four three point five, four point five, whatever you want. Yeah, one being the lowest, and five being um, obviously like classic, the best. Right. Um, I would say like three point five for me. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's really good, and I like it, but. Um, clearly trying to compete with since you've been gone and it's uh it's not that since you've been gone is a pretty much a slam dunk um and it's just a maybe a tad too poppy for me but uh it's pretty strong album opener for the new lineup and and uh jlt is in fine form so uh definitely closer to five than one for me all right. Oh, there we go. Um, so yeah, I I enjoyed this. Um, I'm trying to trying to think of what to give. You know what? I think I think a three point five as well because um, you know I think it's like a it's a I agree with Chris. Good um good album opener. But what I really like about it too is like um it's. Um, when when you talked about the drum production, I started listening to how it was produced overall, and like it was really um, like a good production, which is not surprising because of Roger Glover. But I mean, Richie had just a really good like full guitar tone. Uh, the bass was full, like the uh, it just sounded like um, just really well produced, not thin or tinny, like a, you know, um, or or too poppy. Um, I think that's one thing you can't accuse the uh, rainbow albums are being a, are poorly produced. So that did it for me, but um, I like it as a solid eighties song or a, a poppy song. Yep. I'm going to have to follow suit and also give it a 3.5, uh, not mixing things up yet here, but yeah. um, I, I, it's definitely sounds like something that could very easily have been on a soundtrack for a, for a movie that I just never saw. Like some guys running on the beach training to fight somebody <laughs> or something, you know, I could just, Kind of see that happening. Um, 
Well, it did have a little bit of that classical Richie flavor in it, which yeah. he was able to like manage to mix in and still make it work. Like I said, kind of that, um, you know, it could have been like in a, like you said, in a, a training sequence, training montage, montage, or it could have been in the never ending story or something. Oh you know, like, yeah. I could see that. I, th- yeah. I think if they had had a more, uh, straightforward guitar solo, it would have been easy to sell it that way. But I think Richie's just yeah. a little, his, uh, you know, going into a Bach fugue here and there just doesn't quite work uh, with the, the movie soundtrack song. Yeah. But I, I do enjoy the fact that the, that the production, like Chris said, is, is so strong on it and it doesn't veer into that territory that I just really still have a hard time with to this day of that mid eighties mm-hmm. drum sound. And it just, it's a big turnoff for me. So I'm glad to hear some of that old rainbow and deep purple sound coming through. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next up, we've got the song Spotlight Kid. Nice. Like playing like intentionally sloppy almost. Oh yeah, the 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 opening riff sounded like uh, really different, like something like Richie didn't do. But then this goes in right into familiar territory. Yeah, there was like a dash of Hendrix in that guitar intro there for me, which I found interesting. Oh yeah, but then what you got here is the. Uh, you got that kind of double bass, really up-tempo beat going on. And uh, <clears throat> another thing they played a lot on MTV in their early days was the... Uh, yeah. They used to play a uh, show from the Straight Out of Straight Between the Eyes tour uh, on their, like, Saturday night concerts and stuff, and... I'm pretty sure this was the set opener and uh, a really good choice to uh, get a concert going in a kind of high octane fashion. Yeah, this is a really driving beat behind this. I'm just noticing the double bass drums after uh, Chris pointed it out. A really good. Uh, who would have thought that some virtual unknown could take over for one of the biggest drum legends of all time and do an amazing yeah. job. Yeah, you really got to hand it to him. It's, uh... He really played well on these two albums he was on. Yeah, sounds like Richie's doing a little uh, improvisation. Don Airy taking over here. Yeah, definitely nod to purple here going on. Like a highway star vibe to it. Yep. Or even a little bit of burn. <laughs> kinda... Whoa. 
This is pretty awesome. And I don't often say that about a keyboard solo, <laughs> but this definitely qualifies. Wow. That, that kind of went into a uh, kind of rainbow rising territory the uh, the outro to that keyboard solo a little bit yeah yeah that was a very great wow. and very interesting solo section with yeah. some interesting synth really patch choices me, yeah it did give me really like um really hints of like uh something that um what um was uh, like a hint of rainbow rising like something that could have been on there, like light in the black or. And that driving beat just doesn't hurt. Just a little hurt. bit. Just a little bit. Jolyn Turner says this song is about him. He's the spotlight kid. <laughs> Even though the song was written by Blackmore and Glover. <laughs> they, so he just decided it was I, about I think him. He cl- I think he claims they wrote it about him. <laughs> I don't know what well, Glover and Blackmore would say, but makes for a good story. Spotlight Kid. How are your audio levels, Chris? Are they okay? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. good. Mm. Spotlight Kid. The driving double bass kind of uh, started to uh, remind me of, uh, like, again, something that could have been on Rainbow Rising, but it was kind of weird because you kind of get that feeling of, like, uh, like deja vu or something. Like, for a minute, you're like, oh, that sounds like it, and then it goes away and goes back into, you know, current rainbow and i could i could hear it's ronnie cool. singing something over that of course it would not be about yeah. spotlight kid it wouldn't be about um love and all this stuff about the junkies and pleasure machines and everything else on here <laughs> yeah. it would have been you, you dragons and ladies in waiting and castles and things like that and uh maybe throw out a lookout or two in there <laughs> occasionally yeah <clears throat> all right so what do we think about spotlight kid I will give it a solid four. Almost kicked it up a half point, but uh, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna reserve. There is one five for me on this album. I will reserve that for being the only one. But, um, oh. Like I said, uh, you know, a real potent song, hard driving song that I think was a set opener for them around this era and into the next tour. Um, and you know, shades of, uh, highway star for me is, uh, it's really the kicker. Uh, you guys being deep purple fans, you might, uh, find this to be as cool as I do, but I once 
uh, wrecked a car while the live or made Japan version of Highway Star was playing. <laughs> I think I think you may have tw- tweeted oh. about that at some point in the past. That sounds familiar, but that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was actually t-boned, uh, so somebody oh. wrecked me. But oh. uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, we were uh, cranking uh, the. Uh, made in Japan version of Highway Star, and then uh, everything came to a screeching halt, literally. Uh, so, but well, if you're gonna uh, crash, you're gonna that's the way to car, do it. The one it doesn't get do. more rock and roll than that. It doesn't. I gotta admit. Yeah, unless you were all like just doing eight balls at the same time or something <laughs> with his, the, a trunk, a trunk full of strippers or something. Yeah, unfortunately not. It was just <laughs> me and two Greek guys. About it. But, uh, but it's still cool. I, I hang my hat on that one. I tell that story whenever, whenever there's the opportunity. <laughs> All right. Oh, John, great story you- it is. <laughs> um, so um, Spotlight Kid, um, you know, I was, I was going to give it a three, but I'm, I'm going to give it a 3.5 just based on uh, the, the song as a whole, I think is kind of, um, is, feels kind of average to me. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't um, say there's anything outstanding about it, except I really enjoyed the opening riff uh, before the song started. And the, the keyboard solos were just really wild. Like I think they made this, they saved the song. That's what bumped it up for me. Yeah. It Other was, than that, it was just a solid, just a, just a good song, you know, not great, but good. I'm uh, going to agree with Chris. Uh, and give it a four. I would also like John. I would have given it a three point five, but for me, it was that solo section in the middle that brought it up to four. Um, I thought that was really good. And Don, Don Airy, the man. You know, we we saw Deep Purple back in October, and every time I every time I listen to stuff or or, or see him, he always manages to kind of steal the show for me. He's he's very underrated. I'm, I don't want to say he's underrated because he's one of the most legendary rock keyboardist probably of all time but uh but man that guy can play he's got some real chops yeah absolutely and uh you know he got weird in the middle of that which i always appreciate so yeah <laughs> yeah i don't i don't mind that at all okay next song up no release speaking of don airy Almost kind of Hendrix thing going on there. There's some other Hendrixes isms later on in this album. Oh, there sure are. Yeah, which usually they're not that overt from Blackmore. I mean, they're you know they're there, but I think they're their most obvious on this album, and that's not a bad thing. No, not at all. This is fucking great, man. You're really grooving on this part. Yeah, this is this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, this has got a great groove. Absolutely.
You know, I know this kind of predates him a little bit, but um, I'm kind of getting a little like a Ray Gillen vocals in there. Yeah, that's a good good call. You know, it sounds it sounds a little bit like um like a Ray Gillen um, Sabbath and um, Badlands, which is yeah. definitely not a bad thing. I think many uh, more vocalists than you would expect uh, worship at the altar of JLT, and rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he gets a lot of crap, but I mean, um, or he has gotten a lot of crap, <laughs> but I mean, he's um, he's damn good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's I think more for the things the that he is, says. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and maybe also about his his wigs and his plastic <laughs> surgery, but uh, yeah, you can't you can't fault his vocals, especially no. on this album. No, this the other the other parts are unfortunate. <laughs> and he's one of those guys that's just so consistent with his vocals, and to this day can still belt it out. Oh yeah, I really love the tone that Richie's getting on his guitar here. And it's not like a typical tone for him. No, it's really, it's just really fat. I think you hear a lot of the Glover songwriting influence coming in on this album. And this is written by Blackmore, Glover, and Airy. Wow. Who would expect this from Blackmore? I, I was not <laughs> expecting this little breakdown here. I feel like this is a Glover part. Hey, man. Glover uh, had the magic touch with the uh, mm -hmm. production and some of the decisions that he obviously made. That's why he got brought in. But based on some of the uh, kind of avant-garde stuff we've heard from Roger Glover, I feel like he had a big hand in this breakdown here. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, no question about it. It's really interesting that these songs kind of come together so well, given the fact that they were kind of written and recorded without even having a vocalist in the band. And JLT kind of had to do some patchwork over a lot of this stuff. That's not easy to do. Yeah, like on this song, you wouldn't have known. Wow, that's a great solo from Richie. Kind <laughs> of sounded like James Brown celebrity hot tub party. <laughs> he puts his toe in the water. <laughs> Can't 
I think I heard some more, some more hand claps on the outro on the fade out. That was damn good. No release. Yeah, that's strong. Strong stuff. All right. You want to kick it off, Chris? What do you think about no release? Yeah, I'll give that a 4.5 for sure. Um, okay. Pretty kick-ass from start to finish. And uh, was one that <clears throat> you never hear much talked about really in the rainbow catalog but it's absolutely one of their strongest tunes that they ever put out really good mm. all right john yeah I, I agree with chris on this one uh there's a 4.5 uh for me as well um this is definitely like a like a rocker i was like really i was really surprised i love the little uh the time change and like the the, the driving beat behind it and the, the, the vocals, the guitar solo, the guitar solos were awesome, especially the outro solo. It's probably one of Richie's better like improvisations. And, you know, again, the production just really helps it and just makes it like fully realized, you know, could have been with lesser production. It could have been not good. So, but luckily that wasn't the case. I love this one. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give it a, a four. I, I really like it as well. Um, you know, you it's it's weird going from these. I, I guess you had a few with the Dio era, but going from these sorcery songs to like just songs about you know, wanting to get laid and things like that, which kind of becomes more of a typical typical rock lyric and stuff. Um, but I really I like the um, I love that breakdown in the middle and Richie solos are great. So really good tune. All right, next up, Magic. And this one's interesting, actually. This one is written by Brian Moran. And I tried to, you know, something that Richie could never get done in Deep Purple, which is bring in other people's songs. And this was, Brian Moran mm -hmm. is just listed as a friend of Richie Blackmore's. So no other real credits from him. It's odd, but, um, but here you go. Here's Magic. funny the two guest written songs on the album both sound like they'd be like montage songs from an 80s movie yeah makes me wonder what was up with rainbow's management or agents that they couldn't get these things into movies this should have been in a movie
somebody trying to like win Elizabeth's shoe back or something. <laughs> I was just gonna say the Karate Kid movie. <laughs> yeah, Karate Kid, sure. The Karate Kid and arcade scene. <laughs> <laughs> See, we thought the same thing. I'm pretty yeah. sure you could edit a, a, a version of Karate Kid with this song in the in the arcade scene, and no one would even notice that you'd done it. Well, you know, we could we could put in a call to YouTube Red for the new Cobra Kai series. They're, they're working on season three. Maybe they could use it. <laughs> yeah, this song definitely makes me want to play mini golf or lift weights or <laughs> both. <laughs> or, or show your skills throwing a baseball at some bottles. Roll up the sleeves and my pastel suit jacket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? Correct me. See what you guys think of this comparison, but this guitar playing, you know who it reminds me of? Someone who came later, obviously, but I hear a lot of Jeff Healy in that guitar oh. playing. Yeah, I can Speaking hear that. Speaking of 80s movies, Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, uh, yeah. The, the closing credit song that uh, Bob Dylan cover he did. Oh, yeah. I hear a lot of similarities in the lead playing on those two songs. He was in the cage getting the bottles thrown at him. Yeah, right. I like this part right here. That's kind of the yeah, it's really the interesting movie soundtrack part to it, you know. And you know, you got to think a, a part like that too, where he's just vocalizing over, where he's just seeing the melody and everything. Um, uh, back to the point of how they they wrote the the songs without him. This is like, I mean, that's got to be pretty pretty tricky to like kind of just like show up and be like, yeah, okay. Like I'll just, you know, well, you know, it's like, is it even in his, in his range? Like, does he, you know, he wasn't part of the process. Like, I mean, that's, you know, it takes a little work to, to make that work and sound like as good and then melodic as it does, you know, I think. Yeah. And it, it works, well, uh, uh, works well. That shows you the professionalism of JLT yeah. as a, uh, as a legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can bring him in for any session you want, whether it's singing about Bob's big boy or or <laughs> belting or out a, belting out about magic. He's gonna get it done. All right, magic. What do you what do you think, Chris? I'll give this one a three, I guess. All right. I wanted to give it a two point five, but uh, it's. It's not that bad. It's just a little, little lightweight for me. Um, clear attempt at a single, and like you said, they they were lacking in uh, management pull that this wasn't in a movie soundtrack of the era. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. The playing was 
great as a, as you would expect, but the song itself is a little lightweight for me. All right, John. Yeah, I again agree with Chris. I think that's a the best way to put it is it's um it's it's kind of lightweight. It's kind of uh what I would you know the way that I characterize songs like this are just like average, um not really not bad but not memorable either. Just kind of like a album filler, I guess. But definitely like would have been a cool soundtrack song all the same. Yeah, and you you just, you want one of those soundtrack songs to be kind of something that can fade in the background, not something that's going to just have you rocking out. It's, it's supposed to just highlight the the scene that's going on, which is why this song would have worked perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also going to give it a three. I can't decide that that part where JLT's is going to if like if I if I like that part or if I don't like it. Like I I. I I think it works really well uh, for the song, but it's um, I like it. Yeah, it, it seems like incomplete, like they weren't they they hadn't really figured it out for all the reasons we've already stated. But uh, but I, I do like it. So. All right. So the the final song on side one of the album is a song I'm not even going to attempt. Well, maybe I will attempt to pronounce uh, we have a lot of uh, German listeners, so I'm sure I'm going to get skewered for <laughs> for that. Or, or I don't know, Chris, do you know how to pronounce it? How's your German? Uh, usually, usually I pronounce it as Schlaben uh, Zinaben. That's, uh, that's, that's my default German pronunciation of anything German that I see. So that's probably I figure cl- out. It's just as close as what I said. Yeah, I figure <laughs> occasionally I might be right, but usually I'm wrong. So apparently, well, it means, well, it's supposed to mean maybe next time, and it's written by Blackmore and Airy, but apparently they completely mistranslated it, and it was supposed to be called something else. So then on this follow-up release of the album, they changed the spelling, and then that was still not proper German um, for what it's actually supposed to be. They just had some problems, even though R- Richie notoriously loves all things German. He's been married to two Germans. He's lived in Germany. He's got a German son. Um, but apparently his German <laughs> his German writing is not quite up to up to par. So um, Richie said it's a song about a very uh, it's a very sad song about a woman who has been left high and dry and is miserable. That's a nice uplifting way to end the so- side of the album. Maybe next Great. time. Here it comes. And of course, this is an instrumental. The how you would know it's about a woman left high and dry, I don't know. Blackmore was quite the accomplished slide player, which I think often gets overlooked in his playing but uh is quite good at it yeah we've noticed a lot of good parts that he's done on past albums with slide right nate oh yeah depending on his mood he might he might just pick up a screwdriver to play the slide but (laughs) yeah This kind of makes me think of uh, Wasted Sunsets a few years later. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. Or at least the lead tone, maybe the beginning part. Not so much this part, but... 
Yeah, it does kind of have this like melancholy, sad feeling to it. He's he he does this sort of song every so often, and he he does it very very well. Most recently, I think with his song "Carry On, John" about John Lord. It's this instrumental that's in a similar vein and very moving. Oh wow! You can hear the uh, the same kind of. Um effect that Don Airy uses like on the uh, Blizzard of Oz album. Oh, yeah. Like a revelation <laughs> Mother Earth or something. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Some emotional playing from Blackmore there. All right. Uh, what do you what do you say about that song? <laughs> Maybe next um, time. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go at two point five on that. Um, great playing and everything, obviously, but I don't know the uh, the rainbow um, instrumentals. I could, especially in the flow of the album, um, are usually something I skip over, and this would be one of them. So, uh, so middle of the road, two point five for me. All right. What do you think, John? So, well, first of all, I think that I've been entering all my. <laughs> All my ratings under your name. Yeah, I've, I've been I've been fixing them as we go along. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just noticed that on the sheet, on the doc. Um, you know, I was I was yeah, I was definitely thinking about it. It's like um, it it's good, but it doesn't like connect like emotionally to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the way that um, like catch the rainbow or rainbow eyes or soldier a soldier of fortune or you know any of those kind of like songs that are really slow like that than Richie does. Um, um, even though it's still good. So again, I'll have to, um, I agree with, with Chris's rating of a 2.5, just like average or even kind of forgettable. Like I would probably skip over it because it's not the kind of Richie ballad or slow song that I would like listen to and, you know, kind of, you know, sit back, close your eyes and be like, wow, this is a beautiful song. Yeah, I'll I'll give it a three, just because I I, I kind of feel like it's the same. It's just kind of, it 
it's some really great emotional playing by Blackmore and some great mm-hmm. soloing that he's doing there. But much to Chris's point of the flow of the album, it's very weird coming after magic into this to end the side of an album. It doesn't really feel like it belongs and it doesn't, it also just doesn't really go anywhere. It, it I think if it, mm, yeah, if it was building towards this or had this as a middle part or as an ending and there was some sort of more structured song before it, it could work a little bit better. And it reminds me kind of some of those guitar hero albums from the eighties where you've got some really great player just playing over like two chords vamping back and forth. And it's like, is that really a song? It's really good playing, but after a while it does get a little boring. It is uh, it's his credit is one of the shorter songs. So he doesn't overdo it by doing in that six minutes of that. But yeah, yeah it, it, it doesn't really hold my interest. But you made that point where we've made that point before, too, like on some of the Rainbow albums about like, you know, this would be great if it had a middle part or like, um, no, it actually was an Elf album, I think. Right, I think it was Elf's first album and it might have been a Rainbow album, too, where like, yeah, this would be a great like part to a song or like, you know, something to lead into it. But just on its own, it just kind of. Yeah, you just keep expecting it to go somewhere and then it doesn't. Yeah. All right, well, that's the end of side one. I'm going to kick it up with uh, side two. And the song Can't Happen Here. (laughs) Really weird change after that last song, too. You know, very upbeat, like typical Richie uh, guitar riff. This has one of the weirdest opening lines of any song I've ever heard. (laughs) Contaminated fish and microchips. Definitely another great pop rocker. Yeah, this one's got a little more of an edge to it, though. It's a little more of a hard rocker for me. And uh, the lyrical content is very timely. 39 years later. The video (laughs) for this song is really bizarre. Like the way that he ends off the verses with that um, kind of chorus, like uh, him like doubling or tripling his vocals. Yeah. And this one was just written by Blackmore and Glover. Yeah, you can tell it's like a really um, just a really good, typical Blackmore composition. And JLT's voice really good on this song, too. I'm really enjoying that. Oh, yeah. But more than that, it's just really, really catchy. (laughs) 
Like JLT's uh, liberal use of woo throughout the song. <laughs> yeah, he's rivaling Hagar with that. <laughs> <in this stage. laughs> like Glover writing this uh his political song about reminds me of like a early Megadeth song <laughs> lyrically <laughs> not musically yeah complaining about the CIA and the KGB and all that <laughs> It's interesting, like the uh, if you've ever seen, have you seen the video for the song? I've seen it. I, it's been a while, but it was in heavy rotation on uh, early MTV. It's it's one of those weird. It's like I th- if I'm remembering correctly, it's like half footage of them on stage singing, but then they intersplice these videos of like uh, that's. I think maybe that's why the. Megadeth thing pops in my head the Holy Wars video it's like them playing and then they cut to a scene of like some bombs being dropped from a plane and machine gun fire and things like that so it's it's very similar in in structure to the Holy Wars video and it's yeah, kind it's of like, like uh, like newsreel footage type stuff you know making the political statement and it actually won a, a video at can or an award at can for the video this video? <laughs> yeah, which is weird because it doesn't... Oh, didn't it, know. it seems like it was just thrown together. But I guess in 1981, this would have been a revolutionary video before they, you know, really kind of started doing anything too involved. But I get, uh, in, I think it's Martin Popoff's book. He tells the story of Jolyn Turner getting a call backstage one night and saying mm-hmm. saying that they won this award for the video. So he calls off to the band like, hey, we won an award for the video. And Blackmore's like, ah, fuck off. So... <laughs> So, so black. So Joe Lynn Turner, th- I guess he thought it was a prank. So Joe Lynn Turner said, told the guy on the phone to fuck off and hung up on him, but they won an award. So I don't think they rescinded it after that. But. I thought right. that, that just would have been Richie's like 
like reaction just even if he thought it was real <laughs> probably <laughs> wouldn't have changed anything <laughs> all right chris what do you think of can't happen here i'm going to give that a jeez want to give it a 4.5 but i think i'm gonna rein myself in and give it a four um this is a logical progression from all night long which is one of my favorite uh rainbow tunes and um yeah i just love the groove of it again i think the political statements and uh other stuff they talk about in the lyrics are 39 years later you could apply them all to the present day that's pretty cool in my opinion so so uh not sure why i'm not kicking this up to 4.5 but i'm going to keep it as a four it's a little depressing when you hear all of these songs from 50 years ago 40 years ago and they're complaining about the same stuff (laughs) it kind of (laughs) bums me out (laughs) Well, or, or like if you watch the old Twilight Zone episodes oh, six yeah. years ago. I mean, the themes in half of those are absolutely applicable to today. Nothing's changed. Yeah. Oh, boy. On the one hand, it's good that you can relate to it. But on the other hand, it's bad that you can relate to it. It's like there's been no progress. <laughs> We've made, made no progress. There really hasn't been. So. <laughs> what a bummer. All right, John, what what say you? All right. So um um I like it um as a um is it just a great like I, I kept saying it's great poppy tune, but I think it's like it's more catchy, like I kind of got the the edge to it a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, through the song and I, I you know, I, I love the um I love the vocals. So um and uh yeah, I give it a four. All right. I think it's uh, one of the stronger songs. Like I'd listen to it again. Oh yeah, this is a, this is a signature tune for them. All right, I'm gonna give it a three point five. I um, for all the same reasons you guys did. I I really liked it. I thought it was a good rocker. Makes me wonder if there's a book. Um, there's a book by um, who's it by uh, Sinclair Lewis called "It Can't Happen Here," which is about like some nut job basically becoming president and and taking over and uh i wonder if there's if roger had written it with that kind of in mind um Mm. but i've never actually read the book i just know about it (laughs) uh but yeah it's uh it's an interesting interesting track upbeat really very odd like flipping this over after the last song on the first side is just I, I do always wonder about that with the flow of the album. Like, it seems like that, you know, they, they had nine songs in this album. Maybe they could have left that instrumental off the last going from mm. magic into this might've been a little bit better flow. Yeah. Uh, but next up we have two in a row that are written by Blackmore Glover and Turner. Uh, so here we go. And we're starting with the first one here, which is called freedom fighter.
All these futuristic elements he's bringing in. Yeah. Cutting edge technology in lyrical theme of this song could easily be applied to almost any 80s kiss song you know the get out of my way i'm, I'm living life by my own rules type vibe so i could hear paul stanley singing this in the 80s oh boy yeah there's um Honestly, nothing, uh, nothing worse than hearing that over and over again. Yeah, it gets a little tired after a while. <laughs> yeah. I just can't get like Stallone as Rambo out of my head when I'm listening to this. Maybe it's just the freedom fighter uh, element. Great fills by Rod and Ellie going into that solo. Oh, yeah. And then this part is very interesting. Like, he's got some kind of octaver going on. Really cool effect. Very strange for Blackmore to be using that. tell if that was like a chorus singing or if it was Aries keyboards This could a song could be used as a rallying cry for all these people who are storming state legislature buildings these days, <laughs> you know, and, pissed and, off because they can't go get their hair cut. That type Costco. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Again, where is Rainbow's agent? How is he not? I know he should be getting in on this. Yeah. You know, sell it to Fox News, man. Break it in. <laughs> This is why JLT has to sing big Mm. boy commercials. (laughs) Should be licensing this out to Fox News for big money. My my favorite is the the people protesting outside the gym by exercising outside the gym, thus proving that they don't need the gym. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) They can just hear this playing over over these people doing planks outside of a gym. 
this is oh, yeah. this is some viable workout music. Man. Oh yeah, I mean this whole this whole out. Well, I guess this album would have its ups and downs if you tried to if you took off a couple of tracks, you could definitely have a good workout routine to this. Yeah, this one makes you want to run through a wall for somebody. <laughs> In fact, I might do that immediately after this <laughs> recording is over. Just Leave. plow into my garage. <laughs> Run right through the drywall. Leave the camera on, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. What do we think of Freedom Fighter? Uh, I'm going to give it a three. I just, I thought the, I don't know, the, the lyrics are kind of cheesy for me, but uh, definitely the solo break was a huge redeeming factor for me. So almost up to 3.5, but I'm going to keep it at a three. All right. Yeah, I'm going to give it a, um, I'm going to give it a three as well. Um, just think that it's, um, it was just another, um, in, in my estimation, average, average song, um, kind of catchy, but, um, I think that the, yeah, it was, it was kind of a little, I guess, cheesy and, um, something that just kind of interesting thing that I was thinking of is, is just kind of like unusual how like Richie wanted to be more commercial and write songs like this, which are clearly, uh, you know, commercial kind of catchy poppy. Like we've said him like a ton of times, Oh, this could have been in this movie or this movie, but then he'll throw in something really weird, like that guitar solo. Yeah. Which is not <laughs> commercial at all. Let me just go into the Phrygian dominant mode for, a, <laughs> you know, for t- 12 bars. That's what, yeah. that's what everyone's begging for. Yeah. It's just, it's really, um, there's some unusual choices, which makes it interesting, but it's like, um, you know, that's as far as it goes. Well, for you've, me. you've got to give it to him, though. He always he did stick with those like a, Arabian scales, just sl- switching back and forth between those and blues things and keeping his style and not mm-hmm. trying to get yeah. into any like any things that were starting to become pop- like he never got into like tapping. He hates tapping. Mm. Um, he stuck to his guns, at least. Yeah. Uh, I will also give it a three. I agree with everybody on that one. And I, I hate to say what you guys just both said, but the word cheesy just keeps coming to mind as far as the lyrics go. Like it, again, it's a, it's a decent song. It's got that, it's got a good feel to it, but yeah, the lyrics are just a little cheesy about um, trying to be a little political mm. and, you know, and I, I think it comes across as like a little, disingenuous to hear like JLT singing about being a freedom fighter. Like what if you have ever had to like, you know, you hear like Bob Marley, you know, get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. But then you hear JLT sing a similar sentiment. Like what adversity have you have had to overcome? Like it does, it just doesn't seem, seem like it's coming from the heart. Yeah, I agree. It's a little, uh, it's a tough sell. <laughs> Maybe he was singing about fighting freedom. Maybe he wants to like, fight freedom itself, like yeah, like not fighting for freedom, but fighting freedom. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't freedom. want other people to have freedom. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's a theory. It's as viable a theory as any. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got Midtown Tunnel Vision. Now this one's got a very interesting 
Robin Trower, Bridge of Size vibe to it. Hmm. Just from that first note, just hearing the Hendrix on the guitar. Yeah. Um, is this Dealer from Come Taste the Band? Yeah, huh? It's got a little bit of that vibe for sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm not hating that though. No. But it does. It does get that big vibe of that. I do kind of like the groove though, and the song sounds really big. Absolutely. You know, it's got this really big, like, full sound to it, from the guitar to the vocals. It's got that kind of like foxy lady sort of just going to that. The heck do you call that chord? Like the E sharp nine or something? Mm hmm. But, but kind of kicking that other part of the riff into. So it's got to be like a Richie's kind of like bluesy entry. So he always has like a super bluesy uh, kind of influence song. Interesting volume swells with the guitar there. Yeah. <laughs> then gets into there a little go. rainbow rising territory. Yep. lyrics sound a little bit more authentic. Like what? The lyrics are like, they're a little more authentic. They're just like walking down the street in the city, seeing a girl in stiletto heels and just like, uh -huh. sure. Being a kid from New Jersey, this is more, <laughs> more uh, <laughs> what he grew up seeing. Not so much strapping on the headband and being a freedom fighter. Huh. 
Wow. Oh. There you go. That's Mid- pretty good. Midtown Tunnel Vision. Yeah, that's the five for me on this album. Oh, um, there we go. Right into it. Yeah, it's uh, not only one of the great deep cuts in the Rainbow catalog, but it's one of the great deep cuts in all rock, in my opinion. Um, might be overstating it a bit, but uh, I guess I love the title. I'm big on song titles. I'm drawn to cool different song titles it's definitely fits the bill and um i just think the whole uh you know you've got nods to hendrix trower rainbow rising um jlt is in his wheelhouse with the lyrics like like uh, you were saying about the last song it sounded a little disingenuous definitely not the case here he's totally engaged and believing what he's singing and um uh, uh this is an outstanding cut the whole band is on point and that ending just brings it all home in uh, incredible fashion so this is my five i suspected that nice. might be your five <laughs> well, we were, running, we were running out of choices. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be difficult to cure. Yeah. No, I'm probably like, not. This one so. the last one, so. Yeah. Not much intrigue there. <laughs> All right, well, John. Yeah, this was a, this definitely was a was a great a great deep cut. I was not expecting this. Um I give it a 4. Um definitely like a strong song and um, all the same sentiments that, you know, uh, that, that Chris said about the song is true. I like the, the, uh, the definitely the Hendrix vibe. I definitely got the, the, uh, the dealer come taste the band vibe, which was kind of weird seeing is, is that nobody on this album was involved <laughs> with that. It's true. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely like, um, I like that, you know, um, like I was saying, Richie always gets in a, kind of his, his blues song or his really heavily bluesy influenced song in there. And so I think everything from the production playing uh, on it was really good. And JLT's vocals were, were awesome. Um, again, like, um, I don't say he's like overlooked, but it's just like, um, definitely like I'm gaining more of an appreciation for him, like listening to a whole album all the way through. Um, just like I have with so many other uh, singers, you know, on albums that I haven't really paid much attention to, or probably like turned my nose up at in the past, but I don't now. All right. I'm going to split the difference and give it a 4.5. It's definitely the highlight for me of this album. Um, since the first time I heard it, it's just, uh, like Chris said, JLT more in his comfort zone and, you know, Blackmore, it's weird. Cause Blackmore goes through these stages, like, when he was before rainbow, he was trying to get Coverdale to like, Oh, sing about wizards and sorcerers and stuff. And, you know, was Coverdale has that famous quote. What, what does he say? He, he said like, I never met a bloody wizard or something. Oh no. He says like, he's, he said, uh, Richie wants me to write about witches, but how can I write about witches? Cause I've never fucked one. <laughs> and, you know, Cover, Coverdale is all about just trying to get laid and love and all that sort of stuff. That's just all of his lyrics are about that. Um, and when he well, kind of he named his band after his dick. So, I mean, <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> exactly. That's why I, I always 
I always preferred it when white snake was two words. Yeah, exactly. It was short lived, reinf- but reinforced yeah. that whole, uh, you know, that, that in fact it was David Coverdale's white snake. I mean, <laughs> how do you top that? I mean, who, who made the decision to take the space out of that word? That was a terrible decision. I, mean, maybe I, they, I digress. Maybe they thought they could get away with it a little more if they took the space out. Yeah. Oh no, it's, not, it's 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 one word. Um but yeah, so so it seems like Richie had pretty much by at least when Graham Bonnet came in, he had just given up and just been like he was with somebody of a like mind with Dio who wanted to write about that sort of stuff and then just kind of gave up and stopped caring about lyrics again and just wanted to play guitar. So uh but this this is a great, you know, Richie's made makes no mistake about the fact that he worships Hendrix as most people do. Um and it uh it really comes across in this song as in, in a really good way. It it doesn't seem hackneyed the way that they're doing it. It's just it's it's clearly influenced by Hendrix, but it comes across really well. Okay, with that, we're going to come to the album closer here. Uh, Difficult to Cure, and in parentheses, Beethoven's Ninth. Hmm. And it's uh, no writing credits, but arranged by Blackmore, Glover, and Airy. Okay. So far, not a ton of Beethoven. He could have taken some writing credits. This is a very this is very curious choice here for <laughs> especially coming after Midtown Tunnel Vision for just the I don't know it's wow I mean I get it because it's Richie but This song, the, I mean, I, maybe I'm getting into it too early, but this seems to me like a great thing to do live, but placement on an album seems odd. Yeah. If you busted yeah. this out for seven or eight minutes in a live set, it'd be awesome. Yeah, like if, if this was like um, if this was like uh, to feature the musicians doing solos or something like in the middle of the show. 
almost spinal tap section going on here right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I find all the parts where they break out of Beethoven's ninth to be really compelling. Yeah. But he can't help yeah, but think it's like, do you ever see those videos of that guy trying to sell his guitar course where he can teach you how to play classical things on the guitar? Pops up sometimes on like Instagram. It just reminds me of that where it's just kind of. <laughs> Sprinkling a little Don Airy fairy dust on you. Sounds like he's using a Hammond here. Uh, maybe no, not. Yeah. Maybe not. But some sort of organ. There they go. This sort of thing of like doing a rocked up version of a classical number is so played out. But it, it makes me kind of wonder, like in 1981. Was this probably a, wasn't done that often? Was this a fresher idea? Probably was. That, that maybe just didn't age well. So apparently that's a, a sampled laugh from a Laurel and Hardy movie. Yeah, I read oh, that yeah. once. And I guess on the record, it would just go in the playout groove and would just play in an endless loop. Oh, boy. Probably creep you out after a few minutes. That was unusual. <laughs> it's just a, that is a very unusual way to end an album. Or put on yeah. an album. Or, yeah, like I said, I think this would have been best left for the live set. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they were in another transitional period and, you know, you kind of had to fill time. Although, you know, they, they probably should have just gone all Van Halen with it and put out a half hour album and left it at that. I don't think anybody would have minded. No, but, no. I 
All right, Chris. <laughs> what do you say about difficult to cure? Uh, I'll give it a three. I mean, I liked uh, the parts that weren't uh, nodding to Beethoven there. And uh, I think uh, Don Airy really uh, boosted it a little bit. But in general, I mean, I'm not really down with instrumentals, especially when they're packaged with uh, all the other stronger vocal tracks that are on this album. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We didn't get any uh, Jolyn Turner here either. Nope. Two tracks. Which is never a good thing. Mm. Give me all JLT all day. All right. Um, yeah. All right. Did you... So, yeah, I yeah I give it a I give it a three as well. I the, um, yeah it was I mean, um, I mean mu- musicianship yeah is good, but it I don't know it just it seemed unnecessary. I wouldn't listen to it. I kind of zoned out for most of it to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll follow suit with another three. It's just kind of there. It's okay, but I think I think it would be something at a live set that would get people you know, excited for a few minutes and could be a real fun thing to watch trade off a few solos. And, and then the non Beethoven parts were actually pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I, why, I, why, <laughs> why end this album with that, especially coming after such a strong song, probably the strongest song on the album. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's something. It's weird. All right. So where does this, uh, where does this leave us with difficult to cure in the rankings? All right. So our rankings. So I'll start with, let's see. So I'll just go over difficult to cure. So, um, oh, Nate, you and I liked it. Um, wow. I, I liked it slightly better than you did. Um, and, and, um, Chris liked it more than both of us. So we'll go, um, uh, with the 3.61. You were a 3.5 and you were 3.44. So very incremental, but, you know, we, we kind of knew that, um, I, I kind of would have guessed that Chris liked this album best. Um, so our, um, our combined rating with, with guest, if we're going to go against our last guest rating is a little bit, <laughs> is a little bit lower. Oh yeah. Um, a, Nick a beat 10 you. Point, <laughs> a 10.56. When we did the Captain Beyond album with uh with Nick, we got eleven point four four. So uh, see that. Um, but um me and Nate's combined rate is six point nine four, which um, you know, puts us close to um like the uh the elf's first album. Mm-hmm. Um Windows. Mm. That's pretty much it. That's really the only thing that's kind of close. It's sufficiently breathless. Um, kind of actually, that was we gave it a little more than and the D, and breathless Deep, Deep Purple's Beyond. third album got a straight seven. Um, so. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I wasn't looking at the sevens. It's in, bad. it's in good company, but it has a um, it definitely. Yeah. Oh, it, I'm uh, sorry, Child in Time, Ian Gillen's Child in Time. Oh yeah, the Child in Time album. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has, you know, it, I think it has the feeling of a band that was in, like, like Chris said, in transition, and it shows, and they hadn't quite really figured out where they were going yet. 
Yeah, I mean, when you get a well, I mean, Rainbow always seemed to kind of be in transition. I mean, really, if um, if you're looking at all the albums that we've reviewed by them, like, and I forgot to really mention this on our our um, Long Live Rock and Roll episode, it's like the only album of theirs that really felt coherent was Rainbow Rising, which I think is why it's everybody's favorite. Yeah, and long, long live rock and roll. You've favorite. got the he fires the keyboard player, then can't find anybody to replace him, so he hires him back as a session player. And it's just, and you've got two different keyboard players on the album. It's just, yeah. And Richie's playing bass, which I didn't know until we. Yeah, Richie plays bass on what five of the songs or something. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, even the debut was like, um, you know, they. It was just like, hey, all right, he played with Elf, and then he was just like, all right, and he fired everybody. And <laughs> He makes Elf kick out the guitar player, replaces a guitar player, and then fires everyone. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then skipping to this one, it's like they, they write a whole album and they find the singer later, and it's just, it, it feels like uh, disjointed. But that's not to say that there aren't some great songs on here, and, and the production is great as well. It's just, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think they kind of... Uh, held it together just replacing uh airy for the next album which to me is their peak from uh from the entire run to be honest i, I would yeah. put it above rising just because the, the lyrical content uh, and the approach is a little more to my liking but uh i think straight between the eyes is their their top album no instrumentals on that one either that i can recall so that's a plus. Yeah, and there's—I mean, there's nothing wrong with an instrumental, but it just seems like in this kind of band, it's not an instrumental band. So it's—it's it's, when you throw one in there, it seems like you're just kind of giving up. Like we, we can't come up with any words for this or whatever it is. Yeah, they're just—it has, like I said, they're filling space. So, uh, but I mean, it like you said, it did become a kind of a staple of the live set to show off the. Mm-hmm the chops uh, of the, all the guys in the band and uh, you know JLT could retire backstage to tease his hair maybe <laughs> get filleted by somebody and <laughs> come back out on stage and do his thing for the rest of the show not a bad deal for him <laughs> as you're fresh and ready to go <laughs> yeah Legs a little rubbery, but still uh, <laughs> somewhat uh, re-energized in a way. <laughs> it's like, let me go back and freshen up during the guitar solo. Yeah, exactly. So to, so to speak. <laughs> all right. Well, Chris, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on and uh, tackling some rainbow with us. I appreciate uh, you guys. Uh, going off uh script well off out of order a little bit to do that um and also i'm glad you picked this particular album because like i said uh straight between the eyes is usually my go-to but um i revisited this one after not listening to it in a while and uh the strong tunes on here are really strong you know um, no release uh Midtown Tunnel Vision, awesome. Um, I surrender a good spotlight kit. All the, the strong material is super strong. So, uh, yeah, it was great to revisit this one. It's good stuff. Well, now that we know your feelings on Straight Between the Eyes, we'll have to have you back, and who knows when we get to that one, but <laughs> we'll have to 
Have you yeah, back we for give that you one. a call when we when we do that episode if you'd like to come back. Yeah, absolutely. And we we, uh, we know that's John's that favorite album cover, so. <laughs> yeah, a little cheesy, huh? Yeah. And the, uh, the I don't know if you ever saw that live show they used to play on early MTV, but they had the the, the eyes motif, yeah. and each one yeah. had a spotlight in it. It would yeah. like slowly go over the crowd and stuff. Uh, yeah, awful. <laughs> but the I, uh, I couldn't the band, get into it. Yeah, I mean it's definitely cheesy, but I mean the band was was blazing on that set, and also on that album they were kind of firing on all cylinders. So, so if you yeah. can get past the unfortunate um, album art and motif of the tour, uh, they were killing it. They, you got to give them credit; they went all in yeah. with that motif. <laughs> I mean, I've been able to with like plenty of other bands uh, in favor of uh, great music. So I'm, I mean, I, I can for Rainbow, of course. I mean, even now after listening to this album, I'm just more more confused by the album cover. <laughs> it like, it's just, you know what I mean? It's like, but it, it is what it is. It's uh, it definitely makes a uh, makes a statement. So that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I- it's it's a mystery but i think it adds to the intrigue it's just Mm -hmm. completely no explanation for it which makes it kind of cool so Mm -hmm. yeah these are all decisions being made usually by suits and the band has very little input on it and yeah it's like oh you're gonna put a bunch of doctors on there sure whatever (laughs) just tell me where we need to be yeah when are you going on tour yeah Exactly. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate um, everything mm-hmm. you guys do at Pot of Thunder. Keep us entertained every week and make our commutes much more entertaining. Absolutely. Yeah. I always appreciate the feedback. It keeps us doing what we're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, keep up the good work with your show. Um, it's kind of cool that, uh, Deep Purple has their own show and that you guys are doing it. And uh, and we get to talk about uh, music like music like this. So it's definitely needed. So keep up the good work yourselves. Yeah, well, thank you oh, very thanks. much. We appreciate that. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, thank you very much for stopping by. And we'll uh we'll maybe catch you in six months or a year or whenever we get to uh <laughs> straight between the eyes. Yeah, just let me know. I'd be glad to come on and do that one. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. All right, man. Yeah, take it easy. Thanks again. Have a great night. All right, you too. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Yeah, I'm going to sign off, though, before my wife comes down and kicks my ass for... (laughs) keeping her awake. It's going to happen soon. So. <laughs>